morning for the, to the very first week of a, a brand new series that we are calling Christ Alone. And you cannot go wrong with a series called Christ Alone, right? Uh, this is a, a series where we're going to be exploring uh, the riches of truths out of Romans chapter 8. And so uh, over the next six weeks, we're going to cover every single verse of Romans chapter 8. I encourage you to be here every single week uh, because what this book does and what this chapter does is it not only gives us great theology, but it gives us life-transforming truth. And so my prayer for you is that as a result of exploring the truths revealed in Romans chapter 8, that your life will be forever changed. Uh, Romans is widely regarded as sort of the epicenter of theology in the New Testament. Uh, When we want to know sort of a theological treatise, when we want to know how to think about Christ, then we often come to Romans. uh, But Romans chapter 8 then is is widely regarded as some of the Apostle Paul's very best writing. So, let me put it to you this way. If the Apostle Paul were Spielberg, Romans chapter 8 would be Jaws. Huh? Now I'm speaking your language, okay? Check this out. If, if the Apostle Paul, now this may be a little bit of a stretch, but if the Apostle Paul were Led Zeppelin, Romans chapter 8 would be Stairway to Heaven. Okay? All right, one, a couple more musical ones. If, if Paul were the Beatles, Romans chapter 8 would be, Hey Jude. There's some argument there. Some of you probably are thinking there's a little better song, Beatles song out there. I actually Googled, what is the best Beatles song? And of course, there are a thousand different opinions. But Hey Jude, um, you guys know me. You know that I love DC Talk. If the Apostle Paul were DC Talk, Romans chapter 8 would be Jesus Freak. <laughs> The, the height of their career. Uh, you guys also know that I love uh, Apple, so if the Apostle Paul... Now, this is a real big stretch. If the Apostle Paul were Steve Jobs, then Romans chapter 8 would be the iPhone. I thought for sure I'd get a couple amens out of that, but it's all good. I mean, I'm a... I am an iPhone evangelist. Everybody I know, I try to get them to, to get an iPhone. Um, but here it is. It's, it's a, this is sort of the epicenter of the epicenter. It's the middle of the, one of the greatest theological books in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And I believe that over the next six weeks, your life is going to be changed, that God is going to challenge you, He's going to encourage you, He's going to lift you up, and you're going to leave here looking at the glory of God, praising Him, worshiping Him, and allowing Him to transform your heart. So that's my prayer for you today. And so I want to just kick it right off. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4 of Romans chapter 8 says this. Powerful stuff. I love this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful humanity to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in human flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Powerful, powerful stuff here. Now, I want to start with the bottom line, because I feel like that's what Paul does, right? Paul just gives, it, he just gives us the bottom line. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the reality is, you know, 
We live in a condemning world. And so did Paul. I mean, the world has changed, but we haven't changed all that much. We live in a condemning world in the same way that Paul did. I looked up condemn in the, in the dictionary, and condemn essentially means to be found guilty. To be found guilty. And man, there, there's a, a lot of things that can condemn us in this world, aren't there? I mean, I mean, sometimes when you and I go about a job or a task, and sometimes we fall short, right? And we don't, we don't, we don't accomplish the task to which we've set out. And a lot of times the, the world or the people around us will look at that and they'll say, you know what, you set out for this task and you failed, and they'll condemn us. And you, man, you're not even good enough to do that, let alone anything else. Man, you can't even accomplish that task. So a lot of times we're condemned because of a lack of accomplishment. A lot of times we're condemned because of our appearance. And isn't that the truth? Maybe it's your weight, either side of the weight issue. Maybe it's your zits. <laughs> Maybe it's your muscles or lack thereof. Right? A lot of times people will just look at us and condemn us based on, the, on what they see. We live in a world that likes to condemn. I've been found guilty of having too many zits, too few muscles. A lot of times the, the, the comparison game can condemn us, right? I promise you we'll get the good news. <laughs> a lot of times com- the p- comparison game will, will condemn us. You know, I'll never be like him or her. I'll never be like that person. I'll never accomplish what they have. We get into the comparison game and it condemns us. A lot of times we're condemned by other people's opinions. You know, they said this. They said I wasn't good enough. They said I couldn't cut it. They said I would never make it. A lot of times we're condemned by others. But let's all just be honest too. A lot of times we condemn ourselves. Isn't that the truth? I know I'm just being brutally honest with you right here at the beginning of the message. But stick with me. A lot of times we condemn ourselves. And I want to kind of walk through just a couple of steps of condemnation in our own lives and what that looks like. Because a lot of times condemnation doesn't start with just, oh, I can't do this or I can't believe you did that. Well, the first step of condemnation is rationalization. Right, So we come to this temptation and we're feeling like I'm victorious in Christ. I can do this. God has, Christ has died for me. I am made righteous because of His blood. And we're singing Christ alone. But come Monday, come Tuesday, we are faced with this temptation. And what happens? The very first step of condemnation in our life is rationalization. Where the Satan comes into our ear and says, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's okay. Everybody else is doing it. It really won't be that big of a consequence. And so we rationalize our way in. Well, what happens after we've rationalized our way, when we were first saying, you know, it's not that big of a deal, and the devil has lied to us and we've believed him, then he kicks us in the gut and he makes us say, how could you ever do that? So what once was not that big of a deal is now how could you have done that? Rationalization leads to condemnation in our own lives. 
And so sometimes the condemnation that comes is, is sort of these outside forces, other people around us, all of these kinds of things. But a lot of times we are condemned in ourselves and we condemn ourselves. And what happens when it comes to our appearance and our accomplishments and, and our comparison to other people and what other people's opinions about us? What so often happens is we seek to define ourselves based on, on this criteria. Or we define ourselves based on their criteria. Do you know what I mean? And so when we don't perform, we think that we aren't good enough and we believe that and we condemn ourselves or we're condemned by others because the criteria by which we value ourselves has been the, this sort of criteria, our looks, our accomplishments, those kinds of things. And we wrap our identity up in those things. And so condemnation is a very real thing in our world, just in the same way as it was in Paul's world. Because I believe that it was very, you know, the criteria may have been different in Paul's world, but he lived in a condemning world in the same way that you and I do. And so Paul's phenomenal message here in Romans chapter 8 then is... Even in the midst of a world that loves to condemn, even in the midst of people who would love to look down on you in order to lift themselves up, even in the midst of all of this, in sort of this this picture-perfect form of a body that we're all supposed to live up to, even in the midst of that reality of condemnation, Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But again... Don't we like to just say, a lot of times we just come to this passage and we say there's just no condemnation and we leave out the part that says for those who are in Christ. Have you ever come across that? Someone's looking, you know, they're, they're living in, in sin and they say, they, they quote scripture. Well, Paul says there's no condemnation. Right? You probably have run across that. Oh, there's no condemnation, man. I'm good. Where there is sin, grace abounds all the more. So if I sin, then grace keeps abounding. There's no condemnation. That's not what Paul says. Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I want to give you the good news right up front today. In a world that loves to condemn, the reality is is that if you are living for Christ, if you've accepted Him as your Savior, then you are not condemned. And the not condemned literally means to be found not guilty. Condemnation is to be found guilty. No condemnation is to be found not guilty. To be found innocent of all the things that would condemn us in the world, of all the criteria that would get us down, Jesus Christ says that if you are in me, you are not guilty. Your standing before God has changed, and I see you as righteous. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the bottom line. And I know it came rather quick, and that's why all of you aren't interacting with me very much. And you're not nodding your head, and you're not saying amen, even though that's good preaching. It just came a little too early, and you're not yet warmed up. And for that, I do not condemn you. (laughs) So all these things that once condemned us don't have to condemn you anymore. If you think you're valuable only based on your appearance, God says you're valuable because you are mine. If they said that you're stupid and couldn't do it, God says, you can do all things through me, for I am your source of strength. You see, where the world would love to condemn us, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. I love that song that we just sang. 
No guilt in life, no power in death. This is the, no fear of death. This is the power of Christ in me. You see, when we truly realize the love of God and the work of Christ in our life, and this reality that we are not condemned when we place our faith in Him, then that will solve your guilt issue. And I know that the guilt issue is not an easy thing to overcome, but many of you are living in guilt for something you did this past week, for something you did long ago. You've asked forgiveness from that person, from God, and what, you have, what you've essentially done, if you're living inside of that guilt, I would argue, and I know some, some other theologians that would argue this, is that we haven't yet fully come into contact with the beauty of the work of Christ. Because we are not condemned when we are in him. Now, I don't want to mean to belittle any guilt that you may feel. That takes a while to work through, and I recognize that. But God is good, and in Christ, you have been declared not guilty. Your standing before God has changed. That's the good news. That's the bottom line. The question then becomes how or why. And I believe that that's what Paul essentially does. This is the order that he walks us through in Romans chapter 8. He gives us the bottom line. The good news of the gospel is if you are in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Him, you are not condemned. But then he goes on to explain himself for those who are in Christ Jesus. For through Christ the law, the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of human flesh to condemn sin in human flesh. uh, So that the just requirement of the law might be fully met in us who walk not according to the the flesh but according to the spirit. Did I get it mostly right? That's the reality and the beauty of this passage. So I want to walk us through that. Because we live in a condemning world. We have this beautiful reality of Christ and His work for us so that we are not condemned. And yet, if we're honest, just for a moment, we deserve to be condemned. If we're honest just for a moment, We actually do fall short. And we can't do it on our own. And so we see this this sort of battle, the, the the condemning world in which we live, and man, I deserve that. And the beauty of the gospel, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so I want to walk us through, how do we keep this balance? How do we come into contact with theology that will change our lives? Because that's what Paul is doing. And so this, this series will be th- sort of theological in nature. It will feel sometimes like, like uh, you're in a classroom, in, in a seminary classroom, uh, being teached more than preached. <laughs> that's horrible English. Don't condemn me. <laughs> but you, you, you understand what I'm saying. And so I want to walk us through this. The, the, the key phrase here is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want to walk us through what does it mean to exactly to be in Christ? What is he talking about? Well, he's, he also references this law and what the law could not do. God did by sending his own son in human flesh so that sin might be condemned in human flesh. And so I want to walk us through this a little bit. And so what happens is we have God up here. Some of you have seen this before, but I feel like it's so important. We have man down here. And for all you ladies, woe-mans, okay? 
Unbelievable. Okay. I thought that was good. I really worked on that. Okay. So we have God and we have man. And I want to first talk about this law. Because Paul says the law could not accomplish something in our life. What he talks about earlier in Romans is that the law reveals to us the holiness of God. That God is holy. That He requires much of us. But in, as, as these, these laws are written, and what the law that's being referenced here is the Mosaic law, the covenant law, all the Ten Commandments, and read Leviticus, right? The law, okay? All of these rules, these regulations, these laws by which we live, when we look at them closely, what we see is that God requires much of us. He He is a holy God. He is a good God. He is a God above all else, all every other God in this world. The law demonstrates that to us and reveals that to us. That's what Paul says earlier in Romans. But the law serves also two functions. Not only does it reveal the holiness of God, it also, in our failure to fulfill it or live by it, it reveals the sinfulness of man. That man is dramatically sinful. We cannot fulfill the law on our own. And so we have this reality that the law sort of stands in the middle and it is teaching us godly ways in which we live, in which to live, but it is also showing us that we are constantly falling short of that, of, of that standard. Does that make sense? Yes. So Paul says what the law could not do. Christ did. So we come over here. We have God. We have man. But now instead of the law that reveals the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, we have Christ. Because Christ is doing what the law never could. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of human flesh. What is exactly does it mean to be in Christ? The way that the gospel has often been demonstrated to you or, or spoken to you is that the salvation of Christ is the great love of God reaching down to man. That God would send his own son to die in your place. And that is absolutely true. It is a beautiful gospel that we preach. That God has sent His Son in our likeness to die in our place. Where we were sinful, He was righteous, and yet He paid the penalty. But what we often do not hear when it comes to the gospel is that Christ perfectly stands in the middle. He is not just representing God to man, but as the God-man fully God and fully human, Christ is also representing you and I to God through His obedience. And so Christ goes both ways. And what we often see is just this picture of the gospel. And this is a beautiful picture. But we lose part of what it means to be in Christ if we lose the fact that Christ is also representing you and I 
to God in his perfect obedience. So that what Paul says, and he uses this phrase over and over and over again, is what does it mean to be in Christ? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That essentially means that through faith, you, through faith in Christ, you and I are moving up into this position. We are sort of hiding ourselves in the obedience of Christ. And when you stand in this place, there is no condemnation. For your disobedience turns into the obedience of Christ. This is a full picture of the gospel. And when we stand in here through faith in Christ, there can be no condemnation. But there's this also there's this also there's also a reality that takes place. There's also a result of that. It isn't just that our standing before God has changed. Right? And, and many people would, would stop there. They would say, Yes, your your standing before God has changed. Your sin has been covered. God, because of our faith in Christ, has sort of turned a blind eye from our sin. But I would argue that in this position, in the middle position, when we put our faith in Christ, we experience no condemnation. Our sin is not just covered, it's cleansed. That the release, the, the, the grip of sin in our life when we place our faith in Him is then released. That's the result of this beautiful faith in Christ. The one who has stood in the middle for you and I. Representing not only the love of God and His hand reaching down to us and offering us salvation. But reaching His hand up to God. Saying, if they place their faith in me, their unfaithfulness will become my faithfulness. Their unrighteousness will be, be turned into my righteousness. So that the righteousness, any righteousness that they display is not a righteousness of their own. But it comes from me for those, Paul says, who walk according not, a, not to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do you get the complete picture here that Paul is painting? And the result, of course, for us is that we look at this this gospel and we say, this God is good. And he is the one true God, the one who is able to become like us in order to save us and stand perfectly in the middle. So Christ stands in the middle. He isn't just reaching down to man, showing the love of God. He also is representing man to God so that when we place our trust in Him, when we put ourselves in Christ, the righteous obedience of Christ is called our own and we are declared not guilty. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son. I think it's really important for us to realize that in this position, the result of this is not just good theology or not just good encouragement, but the fact that sin and its grip in our lives has now lost its power because we have been joined with Christ. We've placed ourselves in Christ. And it says God, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, so that he could condemn sin in 
the flesh. In other words, that's the part that's pointing, that's pointing to the, the loss of, of the grip of sin in our lives. It's this sort of powerful exchange where the sin that once ruled our heart no longer rules our heart because sin has been defeated through Christ and in Christ. So if we are in Christ, then sin has also been defeated. And so our sin isn't just covered, it is cleansed. Does this make sense? Now some of you are saying, but I still struggle with sin. That's awesome, Pastor, but you didn't see me this weekend. Part of the good news of the gospel is that just because we struggle with sin does not mean we are controlled by it. And so the good word of the gospel that some of you need to hear is just the reality that when we place our faith in Christ, the sin that you sometimes believe has power and grip actually does not because of the work of Christ. And so, way back in February, we did these um, victory declarations. I don't know if any of you remember those. Uh, I still have mine uh, on my desk because I need to be reminded of it often. But we did these victory declarations that said, In Christ, I am made righteous because of His death. That the victory over whatever you're battling has already been won in Christ. And so I would argue that even though you may feel like sin still has its grip in your life and you still struggle with it and you're living where Paul lives in in chapter 7 where what I don't want to do I end up doing and and what I do want to do I end up not doing and so I find that there's this this tug tug of war going on in my heart and and Paul says what a wretched man I am who will save me from this body of death Christ Jesus. After the struggle with sin and in this, this idea of I'm not doing what I want to do and I'm, I'm doing what I don't want to do, Paul points us to the great truth of who Jesus Christ is that through Him we the grip of sin has been released in our life and that we can live in victory. And he also points us to something very practical. For those who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So there's this sense in which Paul says, here's this great truth, here's this great reality, but also let me give you, let me bring it down to the practicality of how we live every day. If you're listening to the fleshy part, we'll talk about what it means to be in the flesh next week. Flesh versus the spirit, that's what we're going to talk about next week. But he says, if you're living according to the flesh then you're going to find that the sin rules in your life. But practically, we, also, we need to be living by the Spirit that already resides in us through faith. And that has to do with tuning our ear to the work of the Spirit in our life. Tuning our ear through good community with other people, through reading the Word, through communing with God. All of these things help to tune our ear so that when it comes to that temptation... I'm gonna, I'm, I feel like I'm going to do what I don't want to do. I feel like I'm not going to do what I'd like to. We can tune our ear to the truth and stand not guilty, uncondemned. Because if we tune our ear to the truth, we can actually preach to the enemy that is trying to get us down. Because the enemy, as we realize this truth, the enemy is always going to try to be whispering in your ear, you know what? 
You are not lovable. And you can take what the enemy whispers in your, in your ear and you can turn into a preacher. Amen? All of you could turn into a preacher because when the enemy sits there and he tries to condemn you and says you're not worthy of love, you can point to Ephesians and the truth of God's Word and you can say there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. When the enemy comes in and he tries to condemn you and say you can't do it, you don't have what it takes, you can point to Philippians and say that's true, thank you for reminding me of that. No, I can't do it on my own, but through the Spirit of Christ, I can do all things through Him because He's my source of strength. Do you understand that when we realize this idea of condemnation versus living in victory according to the Spirit, we can take the lies of the devil and start preaching to them. And there ain't no better crowd to preach to than the devil. Because he just whimpers down. Because the Word of God is powerful. And so that's what I want to encourage all of you to do today and this week. Is not only to realize this truth. That if we try to live by the law, and some of you are still doing that. Some of you may, may be claiming Christ, but practically in the way that we live, we're living according to the law. And we're asking ourselves, what does the rule say? What are the rules for that? And, and this is called legalism, right? And we're living according to the law. And any time that we do that, we're going to find God to be holy. Praise Him. He's good. We're going to find ourselves to be sinful. And the law cannot change us because it's nothing inside of us. It's only trying to change us from the outside. But so we need to move over here and we say what the law simply could not do, Christ has done for us. But through faith in Him. And through living according to the Spirit. Are you with me now? And so what I want some of you to do this week is I want you to go home and when the devil tries to condemn you and he starts telling you a lie that's contrary to the truth of God, I want you to start preaching to him. And some of you are like, well, I, I can't preach. I, I don't know. I, I can't do that. A great way to start is to start reading God's word. A great way to start is to, is to start hiding his word in your heart so that when he tells you a lie, that you can tune your ear. The Holy Spirit will tell you, oh, that's a lie. And you can begin preaching to him. And say, this simply cannot be, for I am in Christ. I love what Paul says. All of this truth, in order that. This is, the, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? All of this truth, in order that. And he points us back to the law. Isn't that interesting? in order that the just requirement of the law might be fully met in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, what the law required can now be fully met in us. Why? Because we're awesome and we can do it? No, because we've placed our faith in Christ and He's already fulfilled the law. What Paul is talking about is that victory in your life as a Christian is possible. And some of you have grown up with a brand of Christianity that says victory is not possible. And I just don't think that's true. I think that victory is possible because of this very truth. Does that mean we're never going to sin again? Nope. And the first time you testify that you haven't sinned in 20 years, then that's the sin of pride. Okay? So it doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again. It doesn't mean that you're not even going to struggle with sin. What it means 
is that the seat of your heart belongs to Christ and that sin no longer has its firm grip on your life. Let me read to you a quote from one of the um, books that I read this week. What are they called? Commentaries. It says this. Those really fat books that weigh too much. Can't understand half of it. I got a grip on this one, okay? It says this. Some understand salvation as a purely judicial exchange. God wanted to condemn someone, so he chose Christ in someone else's place. But it's bigger than that. The death of Christ puts the power of sin and death, the power of sin in our life, the power of death in our life, it puts that power on trial and it defeats it. And thereby making room for the life that had previously been stolen by the sin. That's what Paul is talking about. When we are not in Christ, sin has such a firm grip and it's stealing life away from us. When we place ourselves in Christ, that doesn't mean that the struggle isn't over. It leaves all, it kind of makes all this room for life in the spirit that sin once stole. So salvation isn't just this judicial exchange. It's something much more powerful than that. And that's what I want you to realize today. So as you try and as we're tempted to define ourselves according to the condemning criteria of the world, our looks, our accomplishments, what we can do, other people's opinions, may we realize today that we stand not guilty before God as we place our faith in Him. And if you're here today and you've not yet placed your faith in Christ, today is a great day to do just that. For the reality of the gospel is this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For through Christ, the law of the spirit of life has, has defeated the law of sin and death. For, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful flesh and sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of human flesh in order to condemn sin in human flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fully met in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. May God speak to you today. And if he's inviting you into this relationship, if he's inviting you to hide yourself in him, then I would encourage you to respond.